You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hey, good morning, friends. Go ahead and have a seat if you would like to. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio. My pronouns are she, her, and I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. So big welcome to all of you here and our friends on Zoom as well. Uh, it is it's such a lovely morning. I'm just, I'm feeling it. That music inviting me to think about the love of Jesus. The weather inviting me to just relax and be cool. Um, but, you know, I'm very aware. We're all coming in from different places this morning. We all have different things going on inside of us, uh, different situations we've been part of throughout the week. And so I'd like to start this morning just a little bit differently than we do sometimes. Uh, we used to do this a little bit more, actually, when we were worshiping together on Zoom, where we would take a few minutes just for some slow, quiet breaths together and an invitation to check in on your own soul. So we're going to take just a few quiet breaths here as we start this morning. I am going to invite you to just kind of scan a little bit what's going on inside of you, and especially think about this question. What does your soul need today? What are you hoping to have or to feel by the time this hour or so together is over? What does your soul need so would you take that time with me? Get a little comfortable if you want to. You can wiggle your shoulders or shut your eyes, whatever you need to do. Some of you, that's too weird. That's okay, too. You do you. Um, but take a few breaths. What's going on inside of you right now? What do you need? What do you want to have or to feel when you walk out of here today? Breathing in. And breathing out. God, thank you. Would you be with us here, so close in this space? Amen. Well, our friend Wendy is going to come on up and she's going to pray a bit for our kids before they go out and have some fun. Uh, I heard there might be something extra fun at the end of Kidman today. So water balloons. Oh, you spoiled the surprise. No, it's good. It's good. In fact, adults, if you want to play with the reusable water balloons, you can go join the kids at the end too. If you want, there's going to be a water balloon toss. But Wendy, would you pray for us? Pray for the kids. So I'm going to do something a little different. Um, today, we're actually doing a prayer in the kids' group. So I wanted to read that for us. So if you could bow your heads. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, we pray for the kids of our church, for the kids of Lafayette, for the kids of this neighborhood, for kids who are in hard places, that they may know your love. 
Help us today to give that to the kids. Let them see you through us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wendy. Hey, kids, you want to go have some fun? You can follow, follow Wendy out if you would like. And parents, I hope you don't mind them getting wet. <laughs> would you guys welcome up our other co-pastor, Bill White? Hey. Good to see you good people. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, we are in a sermon series right now on the book of Exodus. Yeah, yep. We are about midway through because we're about midway through our summer, which is crazy enough. And so last week we talked about what in some ways seems like it would be the pinnacle of the story of Exodus because the Israelite people enslaved, oppressed, for so long, for 400 years in Egypt, have been rescued by God. God has liberated them and set them free. Like it seems like that should be like the high point of the story. We're about to roll the credits. And it's not. It's actually just the end of the beginning of the story in the book of Exodus. We're actually just entering sort of the messy middle of the story the part where they thought okay we've been set free woohoo and then it ends up being kind of complicated it ends up being that there is there's much more to go in terms of the journey they have a big trip across a big desert places that they've never been to before in front of them and i don't know about you guys but going on trips it can bring up some feelings right uh, i actually in my family we're about to prep for another kind of big trip and you know i have kind of a large family with four kids so there are six of us and uh we we have to do some work when we're prepping for a trip because i don't know if you guys have ever noticed this but the physical feelings of excitement are actually pretty much the same as the physical feelings of anxiety. <laughs> they really are. And, and it makes sense because the same things that make us feel excited where we're thinking about the future and we're wondering and we're picturing, it, it, it also brings up, well, I'm thinking about all the things that could go right. I can also think about all the things that could go wrong. And I could also think about all the things that I don't know. And it brings up the fact that I'm, I'm I'm shifting, there's going to be change, and there's just going to be all sorts of things that are outside of my control and outside of my usual. And so what we find in our family, and maybe you guys can resonate in your own life, trips that you've been on, is that getting ready for a trip means a lot of anxiety coming out. And our kids tend to um, show that through their question asking. So four children, who each of them are going to come up with like 100 questions, and they're gonna repeat them at least four or five times each. And some of them will overlap, but they'll have asked it at times when their siblings are not there. And it doesn't count for the sibling to have a sibling answer their question. They need it straight from the parent, right? And so it's just, and so uh, a few years ago, my husband Israel came up with this brilliant technique. It might not work for everyone, but it works for us, which is that he started challenging the kids and telling them when they came for a question, like, hey, you guys are gonna need to write those down. And you need to write it down together. We'll accept 10 questions at a time at the dinner table that you guys present together. 
So now the kids started She's not to kidding. Like, like no, have, if like, you know her kids, this is like for real. We have the question lists for our current, twi our current trip is already posted on the refrigerator. I'm not sure it's been like added yet, but one of the kids at least got the document started. Right, so, that, so then they confer with each other and like, no, no, that's that, that question we can wait till later, right? This is the more important question to ask now. And, and then all 10 questions get asked at the dinner table when all four are there. And, and now they can remind each other of the answers. And it's a whole thing, right? It's a whole thing. Again, it might not be for everybody, but it's cut down on a lot of just sort of overload for us as parents, because we just know that trips bring out big feelings. Well, our story today is not about a list of questions being posted on a fridge, but it is a story of a lot of emotions coming out. Because you have this giant group of people, I mean, I can only imagine, right, we have the four children, they have, whoo, so many, all of these people traveling together, and their hopes are high, they've been rescued from slavery, and they've been promised a bright new future. But along with the hope comes all sorts of anxiety. They have needs, they have desires, but they're not sure what's gonna happen and they're experiencing some real challenges. It kind of sounds a lot like us when we're in the messy middle of our stories too. So we're gonna get into it. We're gonna say, what happens when we are in these messy middle places of our journey? How do we talk to God? How do we talk to ourselves? So our friend, Andrew Lee, is going to be reading scripture for us this morning uh, and inviting us. We're actually, we're going to read one part of the story. Andrew's going to come up and read for us. We're actually, there are two passages that are very, very similar. Two incidents where we see a lot of repetition. And one, the people are going, God, we don't have enough food. And another, they're saying, God, we don't have enough water. And they're very similar. So we're just going to read one this morning. Friends, if you're willing would, and able, would you stand for us in honor of the reading of God's word? Friends on Zoom, you guys be comfortable. Exodus 16, one through four. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Andrew. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so they are out in the desert and they are hungry. And there's a sense in which um, this is God's fault. I mean, God led them out into the desert. Like, God, what are you doing? They've got some questions and some, they've got some emotions, some anxiety that they are just pouring out on Moses and Aaron and, and on God. Um, in, the, in the next chapter, it's, it's like repeat. Same scene like Brandon just said. Here it's food. The next one, it's water. Um, they move on from here, God provides the food, and then they move on. And, and this, is, this is how it, it, it lines up in the next one. So here's the first verse of chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded, and they camped at Rephidim. So notice, 
They're, the whole community is traveling. Who's leading? God. Says that God, they went place to place as the Lord commanded. So Yahweh, when you see those all caps uh, in, the, in the Bible, that's, that's actually the, the Hebrew for Yahweh, God's actual name. And so God is leading them, and God leads them to Rephidim. And then the next verse says this. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So do the math on this. God leads them to Rephidim. And at Rephidim, there is no water to drink. Right? God led them out into the desert of sin, and there was no food for them to eat. I, I, I don't know if this resonates with you in your life, but sometimes God leads us to dead ends. And there's a temptation from pastors to make this neat and tidy and to come up with all the nice excuses for why God is clearly doing this out of love and care and compassion. And perhaps that's the case. Then maybe there's some other situations where it just doesn't make any sense at all. And what I want to do is I just, what if we just took it at face value and said, yeah, that stinks. That really stinks that God led you to some place where there was no food. God led you to another place and there was no water. I was thinking about uh, in high school and the beginning of college, I had a long dating relationship with this woman named Jill. And, uh, and God was so clear with me. You need to end this relationship. I mean, God was like crystal clear. And so I ended the relationship not very well, but I, I ended it. And it was awful. I was lonely all the time. I was sad. I was angry. I'm like, I followed and hello, I did what you said. Where's the goodness? And there was no goodness. And the truth is, it was a toxic relationship, unhealthy, totally like, codependent and you could sit what's that <laughs> poor jill <laughs> poor jill yes thank you for that commentary <laughs> yeah um and it was god's gift to this woman right and probably to me as well um but i couldn't see it right and so there are those situations where you get led to the dead end and you're super upset, and you should be upset, and it is God's fault. And yet, thank God. And then there are also those other situations. And this is where we have to be honest, where you really felt like God led you to that church. And it was a really messy church. And people took advantage of you or wounded you. And you lost your faith and you struggled. Or you, you followed God's lead to a job that was just a terrible job. You really thought it was God. And, you, and it messed up your life. Or there's all kinds of health issues that we feel like, wow, we're trying to follow God. And yet, why did cancer show up? And there are these dead ends where you, you can't just easily 
put a band-aid on it and say, well, but God surely is doing this, that, or the other. And I think if, if we're the Israelites here in the desert, when you get led to a place where there is no water, you're just upset. And you probably should be. Which so is, are you going to fix yeah, that now? Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say, like, <laughs> does that feel a little controversial to you all? I mean, because the question is, okay, you're upset. What do you do? What the verse tells us the Israelites did, or a little bit further on in the passage, in Exodus 17, is it says, they tested Yahweh, saying, is Yahweh among us or not? And for some of us, that word tested, especially if you've been around churches for a while, you're like, ooh, bad. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, right? Bad. What were they doing? See, that was an expression. They were not trusting. They just should have trusted God more. We don't test God. Okay, you're not wrong. That verse is there. That verse is there. But let's complicate it. We like complicating things. It's a more interesting conversation, right? So I was uh, with my family at the pool this past week. A few of my kids were doing some swim lessons, so I'm just doing the parent thing, sitting in the chair by the side, waiting as some of my kids are in the water. And there's this little boy, not mine, teeny tiny. I mean, he had sentences, right? But just teeny tiny, adorable. And he's clinging to the side of the pool, screaming, Mom, Mom, where are you? I need you. <laughs> on and on and on. It was heartbreaking. And I want to be clear, like, honestly, I, I want to, in those situations, really kind of put my, my kind of, stay in my own lane parenting kind of glasses on um, because there are all sorts of messy situations where people might see me parenting my kids and wonder what the heck I'm doing because they don't know the whole story of who my kids are and what they might need and what some of the challenges might be so so I don't want to judge the parent but I do want to say that child clinging to the wall crying out for his mother, where are you? That wasn't an expression of distrust. That was an expression of deep trust. In a situation where he was clearly feeling very, very fearful, right? This water thing, this was scary. His mom was the one he called out to. His mom was the one who could rescue him. This was trust, not lack of it. And what if we take that perspective in thinking about what the Israelites are doing or what we do sometimes? Intimacy and trust often goes hand in hand with wrestling, with saying, I want you, you're my person. And even, even feeling safe enough to do that. You know, I think when my, when my husband and I, when we first got married, it kind of surprised me the first couple years where there was this phenomenon that happened. We would go on like vacation or do something where we would just be like, like we'd be feeling connected, 
right? Like you're just in one of those, oh, sweet moments. And almost always what happened in one of those super sweet connected moments is that we would end up in a fight. And I didn't get it until I read, I can't remember what I was reading, but it just, all of a sudden it made such sense. It was like, it was because we were in that sweet connected moment, we would feel safe enough to surface something hard. And then the fight would start. And the fight actually wasn't a bad thing. Something important had been surfaced. To test God is to surface what's real. I need you. I'm struggling. I'm scared. You're my person. Where are you? And we see that all over the place. We see places, actually in this exact same situation, um, a different this, a psalm where God is reflecting back on this situation. And God says, well, I tested you there. Okay, God tests. God's supposed to do the good stuff, right? Okay, testing isn't bad. Jeremiah, a prophet later on, is talking to the relig religious leaders and saying, why didn't you test God more? The priest didn't ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law didn't know me. You stayed at the surface. You didn't ask the real questions. You didn't get honest about what was really going on. Jesus, Jesus loved it when people challenged him, when people asked the hard questions. The only times he got angry when people questioned him, questioned him were when they were being dishonest. They were being tricky. They were trying to trap him. People who just came out of the rawness, what was really happening in their lives, he loved it, invited it. So what if we read that passage, this passage that way? They challenged Yahweh out of the depth of their trust, out of the intimacy of their relationship, saying, is Yahweh among us or not? And as Bill was saying, the answer isn't always easy. As I think about the little kid clinging to the wall of the pool, he wasn't actually getting the answer he wanted, and I don't know what was going on there. I admit it. Not going to try and pretty it all up. But in this passage this morning, God does show up. God says, I do hear you. Here I am. Here's the bread. Here's the water. I love you. I see you. So there's an invitation, I think. Where do you need to put God to the test? Where maybe do you need to actually surface and ask some of those questions? That that is actually how you say, yes, God, I love you and I trust you so much that I just show up for me. Where are you? I want you here. Um, as, as you know, we often like to hear stories from amongst our midst. So if you would welcome up, uh, welcome up Stephen Liu, who's going to share a little bit of his story with us today. Right there, this is your chance for glory, man. Sure, I feel like everybody's like, this guy again? We just saw him. <laughs> we just... No, um, this is I... such an opportunity because people see you, but now we get to know you. Yeah, yeah, fearless worship leader. Um, so I was thinking about like, hey, who is really good at like 
testing God. And I thought of you. Um, and uh, so tell us just a little bit, like, how long have you been around City Church? How did you end up here? Why did you stay or something about that? Yeah, I've been here for two years now, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah. I got connected from a friend that was at this point of time, I wasn't going to church. Mm -hmm. I had just left a church that I was working at. Um, and was kind of like, well, there's not really any options for people who um, believe certain things, but don't fit in this like paradigm within the main evangelical church. So it was just like, well, I guess it's just I'm not a Christian anymore. So mm. yeah, so I didn't want to come. <laughs> Showed up. And uh, yeah, as uh, everybody knows here, Bill got found me somehow found out that I did worship, which I didn't want people to know because I just wanted to be here. <laughs> And then literally probably started leading worship two weeks later. But I, but it was your choice. I know, I know. I just like blaming you, but. <laughs> I was like, you don't have to do anything. He's like, no, I'd love to. I'm like, if you want, yeah. whatever. I did Throw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have there, so this whole church experience, kind of leaving church and stuff like that, you know, talk to us about God leading you to a dead end and, and, and what, I mean, I'm sure there have been a number of those in your life, but but tell us a little bit about one and or a couple, and, and, and what was that like for you? Yeah, I, in terms of my background, I grew up in a like primarily Christian family. They were part of like a church plant. Um, my parents are Taiwanese immigrants, and so they were very much coming over involved with church, and then just like the whole Billy Graham crusade stuff. Mm -hmm. So you guys kind of have an idea of theology. Um, and so I went to Christian elementary school. I went to a Christian college and then I worked at a church. So <laughs> you were very Christian uh, to say the least. Yeah. So the <laughs> bubble, like in, in that sense, I think the bubble was strong. Yeah. The bubble was strong, but like, you know, once COVID hit, I think then it, you can kind of tell it was starting to like slowly like burst. Um, and that was, I, I think for the longest time there was already like a kind of, subversive underlying current of change coming mm -hmm. and just kind of like discontent about the church whether it's theologically or even just um which probably was a big factor was the church politics of working in a church and seeing mm -hmm. all the fun stuff that happens behind the scenes <laughs> and fun um yeah so I, I think that kind of like sorry i'm gonna back up a little bit like i always wanted to be a worship leader when i was growing up mm -hmm. and so like when I started working at church, I, I think, you know, there there's a novelty to it and there's kind of just an excitement of working with um, doing God's work and um, being able to do music at the same time was really exciting. Um, but I think, you know, that cynicism or just like experiencing people's complicated yeah. messes, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it kind of changed who, how I experienced church and what I thought of God and um, COVID hit. And that's when uh, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But like some other stuff happened to where senior pastor stepped away. And then for me personally, like there's some stuff with leadership that I didn't agree with. So um, they asked me to step down. It got messy. I ended up just like piecing out and uh, yeah, just was kind of wandering. And, and so with with God in that like in terms of your your connection with God, like you said, well, I guess I'm not a Christian like did you would you say you stopped believing in God or would you say did you ask God questions or is it mostly church questions I'm, literally I'm not exactly sure where you're going to go with this but I'm just yeah. you know, curious what I mean because these are the sorts of things that we're we think about 
Yeah. It definitely felt like a foundational inquiry because of growing up or being in that Christian bubble, not being outside of it. I didn't really have much space to explore well, what that looked like, of just being outside of the evangelical world. So if you were outside of church, you were outside of God. Yeah, it felt thing. very binary for sure. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it started out as like, is there a God, obviously? And then just kind of, you know, typical deconstruction that I'm sure many of you have gone through. But I think for me, it, it was heavily influenced for sure by like just the people that I experienced at church and yeah. um, the things that you see people do mm -hmm. to yeah. each other. And, mm -hmm. and would you say that you directed questions at God or were they more just sort of questions in your head? Like, did you ever like, God, where are you? Are you there? Or was it more just questions in your own head? Is God there? You know what I'm saying? Like, did you talk with God about it? Right. Did you not? Or what was that? Um, I... <sighs> If I had like a line, like a cell phone that I talked to with God, I threw that phone into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, there you go. That that's makes so sense. Good. Yeah. Not interested. Nope. Yeah. Burn right. that bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you've been around City Church for a bit for a couple of years. Where would you say spirituality is that for you now or do you want to speak to that a little bit sure yeah and your employment is not on the line yeah <laughs> I mean, i'm just saying right he's way, just telling you that case. <laughs> he's just telling you that churches are complicated places to work for right right, right? right. for clarifying and like how good. scary to like be invited up and like so so how are you doing with god now it's all fixed right, right. i did have my pr team prep me beforehand right? so i was like ready right okay <laughs> um yeah i i think i'm in this kind of place where there's that book called uh the uh, sin of certainty yes and, and i feel like for me i'm kind of in that space of like maybe there's a couple principles in the bible or things that i grew up with in the church that i feel very like strongly about like loving god and loving people again loving god whatever god is you know yeah for me, you're working but, on that yeah yeah but i i know for me like in a tangible way it's been just like learning to love people and care for those who mm -hmm. like can't be like mm -hmm. uh, you know are um, yeah, that just kind of been pushed to the sides. Mm -hmm. And so, um, other than that, I, I, it's hard for me to put like my beliefs into a specific, yeah. um, it's very much the, I went to Biola, so this might make more <laughs> sense with that context, but kind of stepping away from yeah. like, yeah. these are, this is how you need to know what you believe. Yep. And these are the things you need to be able to name all those things versus coming to a place where it's like, I don't know, maybe like 51% I feel confident about, but oh, it might change once I experience different things. It might evolve, you know, and yeah. mm -hmm. I think being open to change and seeing, um, uh, yeah, just going through life and going through experiences. Sounds very honest. Very honest. Sounds a lot like the people of Israel. Um, do you, we'd like to end our, our conversations with people up front by saying, do you have a question for us? If not, that's totally fine. But if you do, feel free to have at it. Yes. Um, if there was an alternate universe and there's an alternate you and you, you got, you know, maybe it was like a different universe where you took a left turn versus a right turn. Is this like a <laughs> Spider-Man question? No. I mean, well, sure. But like, what would you be doing if you weren't being a pastor? What would that alternate self be doing? I think I might be like living in the woods somewhere. 
I, I seriously, you know, right, I'm, I'm deeply introverted. And just this last week, I was reading something like thinking about like, what we think would bring us like joy and comfort, because it would just be peaceful. And I think that would be really peaceful for me. But then it kind of went on to say, and, and you don't grow in that spot. And so I was like, oh, yeah. But so I think in, if I took a left turn, I would be in a le much less like people oriented <laughs> role and a much more like retreated space and there'd be some goodness and there'd be some things I was missing out on. Yeah. I think for me, my, my worst self, I'd be a killer used car salesman. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would crush it. I would make so much money. You could win a lot. I could win. I mean, that'd be great. But my best self in the alternative, I'd probably be like a neighborhood organizer. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'd do. That's so. a good question. Uh, Thanks, hey, Steven. yeah, good question. Hey, thank you, Stephen Liu. That's so good. <laughs> what I love about Stephen's story is you could hear... <clears throat> His questioning of God, of religion, of the whole kind of constructed religious enterprise meant actually asking a lot of questions of himself too, right? Like, what do I actually believe? What am I actually wondering? Um, what do I actually want? And I don't know that in some of the spaces some of us have been in, I've I was raised in some spaces kind of like Stephen was referring to that we're invited to ask those questions to take that minute kind of like we did at the beginning of service today say what is going on inside of me. But it feels like that is the give and take of this process that as we test God we put God to this test in this way that is honest and actually promotes true intimacy, not just some sort of surface you know perfect relationship, true intimacy, it actually invites us to look at ourselves too, to get more intimate with who we are and what's actually going on inside of us. And so we just wanted to wrap up here today with just a few invitations. What are some ways that we might pay attention to our own hearts? One might be thinking about our anger. Uh, I feel like anger, which we see all over this story, right? They're grumbling, they're, er. Anger is such an interesting emotion in religious communities. Uh, and just, just in general, I find some people, uh, anger is their go-to emotion, right? Anger, yeah, anger is a go-to, right? It's the easy, because it's a very strong emotion. It's defensive, it's protective. It's a great one. And then for some people, like they will avoid admitting they are angry at all costs. It just scares them, maybe because they've been around angry people or they just think it's somehow unholy. So they will never admit that they're angry. And in reality, it's just emotion like all of them. It's an invitation to check and see what is happening, like a little warning light on our car. Um, so how do we... How do we pay attention to when we notice we're angry? What are some questions we might ask ourselves to really be honest? We might ask, is this what I'm really angry at? <laughs> Which it might sound silly, but sometimes I find, you know, it's the end of the day and I'm getting really frustrated with my kids about something and they're just being seven-year-olds, right? 
Like, if I actually take a second and check in, I'm angry about the thing that some 40-year-old did to me five hours earlier, right? Some situation I was in that I didn't surface at the time. That wasn't one of my safe places. Now here in the context of my family, I'm, I'm safe to surface that anger, but the poor targets, right? So who am I really angry at? And is anger the only emotion that's happening here? Sometimes it is. Sometimes our anger is telling us that something needs to change. We're being treated badly or someone else is being treated badly and something needs to happen. But sometimes there's something much more tender happening that we're just, it's harder to admit that we're, we're scared, we're lonely, we're hurt, we're grieving. It's good to notice our anger. Who are we really angry at? Are there any other more tender emotions behind that anger? Um, there's this moment also um, of nostalgia, right? So there's anger, they were grumbling against Moses, they're probably mad with God, but there's this moment of nostalgia where, where they said, uh, they have this line, um, if we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Like everything was so good back then when we were enslaved. <laughs> what? <laughs> right, but that, that we look back and we hold on to some version of the past. Mm -hmm. And I think we all do this. Uh, there's a sense of longing inside of us for what could have been and what's not. And I, I see it in the text, we'll see it going forward um, from this passage, but we see it in people's lives that those who handle feeling nostalgic well are the ones who acknowledge the past and yet can move on past mm -hmm. it. So there's a scene not far from this point where they cross through the river Jordan to the promised land and they they build an altar there and it, it's sort of the altar of everything that had happened before like they have a physical sign and it reminds them but it also allows them to move forward I, I have a friend who when they got married she was she was very sad she made a commitment and, and she thought about it and she felt good about it but she decided to change her name to her husband's name and she went and dug a hole in their yard and buried the legal papers huh. as, as a sign of, you know, I, I recognize that there's a death here. There, there's a loss here. And I, and I know it and I feel good about it. And she and her husband made an agreement that if she, if she ever decided to go back and reclaim her name, they would go back and dig up the papers in <laughs> someone else's backyard now, but whatever. <laughs> but, but again, but it, it was like, it was a moment like you can do, there are ways to, to symbolize, like, mm -hmm. is there something you need to leave to say, yeah, that, that was, that was mm -hmm. part of my life. And now this is my life. And, and now I can move forward. Mm -hmm. uh, like doing a, uh, a, a number of us were here. We had a, uh, a name, name change ceremony, uh, a, a sacred blessing time over one of our friends who's transitioning. Uh, from male to female, and it was such a dear, sacred moment. Like, hey, we're going to honor this, mm -hmm. and there's a new forward. 
new, new way forward. So I, I don't know, in our lives, these are some of the things we need to think about. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. The sense of, it's like celebration and grief. Yeah. Paying well, attention yeah. to work mm -hmm. through. Instead of the stuckness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or just refusing to deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, last one. Paying attention to our hopelessness. <laughs> I mean, they, they are like these like classic lines we read and we kind of laugh at and yet we kind of go like, oh, this is me too when I'm in a particularly drama queen moment, right? You have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I feel like my kids say that sort of thing to me all the time, by the way. <laughs> How dare you not have packed snacks for this 45 minute adventure. <laughs> um, but there is this sense where the people of Israel, they have this, this gut reflex, which is we're going to die, clearly. I mean, this, this very kind of pessimistic perspective. And yet it's actually, it's very natural, right? Because again, they, they're coming out of 400 years of oppression, 400 years of enslavement, of, of just a lot of really bad outcomes, right? And it can take a little while for us to stop living under the power of old stories that are no longer true in our lives. Letting go of the old stories, learning to talk back to the old stories, to say, okay, you made sense at one point in my life, but that's not who I am now. That's not actually the reality that I'm living under, it takes some time and it takes us noticing. Uh, a change expert who I've, I've really been enjoying uh, over the last few months talks a lot about kindness. And one of the things that I love, um, her name's Sheru Izadi, if anyone's interested. But anyway, she just acknowledges like, it's really not that we, we stop ever telling ourselves those stories. They're gonna keep popping up those old scripts those old sort of like, oh, you always do this. It always ends like that. Why are you this way? But what we do learn to do is we, and we start kind of building up muscle and building up strength is how we talk back. And it can help when we identify what is that story and what would I actually tell someone I loved who was talking that way to themselves? How would I talk to them? Can I start talking to myself that way? That's very personal, it's very individual. And yet you can imagine it, it might go something like this. When something is telling us we've been brought to the desert to die and there is no hope. It might be something like, actually, God is good. God's trustworthy. I am loved. There is hope for me yet. How would it change? my perspective on this situation, if that were the story I was telling myself in my head. So anger, nostalgia, hopelessness, these are all actually, while not fun emotions, invitations into intimacy, invitations to heal, to keep moving.